The Jim Durkin Alaska Series These messages were presented while Jim was visiting Alaska during November 1973 and impart in a concise and dynamic way the fundamentals presented on previous Jim Durkin tapes while at the same time bringing a new perspective to the message of discipleship and worldwide outreach. This tape is the first message in the eight-part series and is entitled, What is the Purpose of God? Radiance tape number, JD63. Our thanks go to the Abbott Loop Community Chapel, Anchorage, Alaska, for making these tapes available. A lot of people that I'm looking at this evening and this morning that I was not looking at a year ago because God has wrought a miracle in your life in the meantime and he's brought you out of death into his marvelous life. Hallelujah. And you've been transformed. And then he's brought you to a church where the word of God is being ministered. And not just the word of God in the sense of it being ministered from the pulpit, but you have been invited and encouraged and led to participate in it. So that you're participating in the prophetic utterances and you're participating in the prayer, you're participating in the outreach. This is truly a body ministry. And because of it, this building is filling up and overflowing. And that's a blessed thing. Now I want to minister tonight, as I will this week, on something that I have no doubt that you've heard. And yet I want to bring it to you in my own way, the way that the Lord moves upon me to bring it. You see, I feel that I am a man under command. I feel the same thing about our brother Dick Benjamin. I'm going to be ministering some things this week that will concern this man of God who you have come to love as your pastor and your leader here. Because I tell you that God is working a miracle work on the face of the earth today, and I don't want to use this in the commonly accepted term of simply praying for somebody and they're healed. To be sure, this type of thing is miraculous and beautiful, or some physical miraculous thing take place before our eyes, and that's wonderful, and God is restoring also those gifts of the Spirit. But God is restoring his church, and I believe in a very real sense because of the greater population and the greater problems that the church of today has. You see, the original church, when it started out, there was not a great number of denominations. They didn't exist. There were no denominations. There were no problems of real differences in doctrine. There were a few, but they could be settled quite easily by gathering together certain people who were commonly recognized in the ministry of that day. Today, God is bringing out of a state of unbelievable confusion a restoration of his church. And to restore that church, all of us everywhere are going to have to open our hearts again to take another look at the Word of God, not concerning certain basics about who Jesus Christ is. That really has never really been seriously disturbed. There have been various modernists who tried to get rid of the Lord Jesus Christ and others who have come along and said that God was dead. But that really never seriously disturbed the church or divided us because any man who had been moved upon by the Spirit of God certainly knew that Jesus was the Christ and God was his Father and had sent him. So we were not disturbed by these things. But there have been other things which have divided us and confused us and separated us. And one of the greatest things that has taken place 
is in every generation, God has given to the church great gifts. These gifts reside in very ordinary men. These men are specially prepared by the administration and the dealing and the providence of God to carry that gift well and give it to the church. But because there has been such great confusion, these men with great gifts have been hindered and stopped from doing their real work that God intended to have done. Now in this particular generation that we live in, God is once again reestablishing these men in their proper ministry. So they are going to have an opportunity to give their gifts to the entire body. You have here in your midst your brother Benjamin, such a man, a man that belongs to the whole body. His gift is too great. And I want you just to hear this tonight. Don't, don't pass on it one way or the other, but hear it tonight. His gift and the gift of all of these men, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, the purpose of an evangelist is not just to evangelize. That's the purpose of the whole church, to evangelize. The purpose of an evangelist, because he also belongs to the whole body, is to impart that gift of evangelism to the entire body. So he is able to take something which God has placed in him, not something he's developed, not a series of sermons. He's learned how to preach in a unique and intriguing way, and it can get people to rededicate their lives or to come to the Lord for the first time. Not that, but the ability to stand up and minister to a body, whether it be to a few at a time or to a great number at a time, and literally impart into that entire body the spirit of evangelism. So the entire work becomes evangelistic in nature and begins to go with the gospel to their community. You see, these five ministries, the Bible says, were given for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Not these men are to minister, that they are to do certainly, but that's not the end of their work. The end of their work is the equipping of the entire body for the work of the ministry. So this man with a gift of evangelism imparts to the body this spirit of evangelism that causes the whole body to rise up and say, yes, I see what to do, and now I'm going to my friends and my neighbors and those I work with and tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the, the aim of it. Amen. And what we've done with the evangelist, let me say, because of our confusion, is we have limited him to a man who comes to a church for three days, one week, two weeks, three weeks, might even go on four weeks, and he does what we call evangelizes. So we said we have an evangelistic meeting, and brother so-and-so was here, and oh, brother, did we have a meeting? I'm telling you, there were 32 people saved, and wow, that was, wow. See? Now that's not what God intended to work this mighty office of evangelism to do. It was not to be limited to that. And God, in this glorious, miraculous, exciting generation in which we live, is restoring our understanding again of what this office really is for. And we're beginning to turn it loose. But it takes enlightened people. 
It takes people that are not willing to remain merely stuck in some groove that they've been in, but are willing. And let me tell you, the older we get, the harder that gets to do, doesn't it? We don't like to get out of the groove we're in. We just like to keep right on that. And every once in a while, the Lord comes along and he pops us out, and here we go sliding down a completely plain surface again, and we find another groove. Well, brother, <laughs> hallelujah. This is the groove we want to be in, hallelujah. What the Word of God has to say. Now, take the gift of teaching. But it doesn't really call it the gift of teaching, does it? It calls it the teacher. Now, a teacher is not just to teach the Word. Every man ought to be able to give a reason for the hope that lies within him. In other words, teach somebody else why he has that hope of Jesus Christ within him. The real work of a teacher is not to stand behind a pulpit and teach, but to make the Word of God so exciting, to look into it with deep insight and open it up so the people can see it, and he holds it out there in front of them and makes it plain and simple so they're able to grasp it. And the next thing, they're able to take up their Bible and say, I see it, I see it, I see it. And they're able to go to their friends and neighbors and let them say, let me show you what the Word of God has to say about that subject. And the whole church becomes a teaching church. These men belong to the body. And they can go from one place and they can impart that tremendous spirit into the body. And the whole church becomes that. And then they move to another place and impart that again. And pretty soon this leaping giant in which the Spirit of God, which the Bible calls the body of Christ, begins to come alive and begins to express Jesus Christ, the greatest of all evangelists, hallelujah, the greatest of all teachers, that great pastor and bishop of our souls, the chief apostle, the great bishop. There's a church coming alive. Hallelujah. What is the pastor to do? Well, in many cases, we can't do that with Brother Dick Benjamin, but in many cases, we try to do this with a pastor, make him a taxi driver, an administrator, and we delegate to him the job of getting together young people's parties, and he rushes around and gets this together, and then he gets up in front of the young people and says, I want to do a magic trick for you. Look here, I get two <laughs> And the young people say, wow, we got a real good pastor there, haven't we? I tell you, that's not what a pastor is. Hallelujah. But neither is a pastor just a preacher. He's that all right. He's got that divine gift to preach the word in a way that does something to the congregation. That isn't his real job. His real job is to impart into the congregation the spirit of the shepherd so that that whole church partakes of that spirit of the shepherd. And no one merely comes to church anymore and just walks in and says, okay, now preach a sermon to me. I want to hear this sermon. Our brother Dick was talking about I go home and say, well, about the pastor and this and that. I don't like this sermon right there. That's not the point. That's not the point. You can't come to a church like this without being fed, but even that isn't the point. The point is that what has been happening here is God, through the ministry of this church, and that's why you've really grown, 
has imparted into this church the spirit of evangelism, the spirit of teaching, and the spirit of a shepherd, so that not only are you winning souls, but they are being taught, not just by the teachers, quote, but they're being taught by the whole church. And more than that, you're able to serve those whom God is giving into your hand because the spirit of the shepherd is in the church. You're not willing to let somebody just drift off into the wilderness without God or without hope again or fall back into their old ways without somebody reaching out and saying, Brother, come on back home again. Hallelujah. Because the spirit of the shepherd. And God is raising up in your midst prophets. But these prophets don't just belong to the local body. They do belong to the local body, to be sure. But not just to the local body. They belong to the whole body. And so those things which are uttered here, by the grace of God, I tell you, I want to know about them down in Eureka. And I say to you that some of the prophecies that are uttered down in Eureka, it would be well if you knew about them up here. And to say, that a prophet is spoken down in Eureka, or a prophet is spoken at Abbot Loop, and we're to hear what has been said. Glory. Now, Agabus, let me show you this is true. Agabus spoke and signified that there was to be a great dearth in the land, which came to pass in the days of one of the Caesars. The Bible says, then the church determined to send relief. Right. See? They heard that prophet. He was able to look into the distance see that which God would do in the near future and report it to the church. Now, he didn't tell the church what to do. And he didn't rule the church or guide the church. That was for others to do. But he was to give that which he saw. And then the church, the Bible says, determined to send relief. And they were prepared. But he's to do more than this. That mighty office of prophet is to impart into the church that prophetic spirit. They belong to the body. The ministry of apostle, in the same way, belongs to the body. And I think many apostles, many prophets, many evangelists, pastors, teachers have only found one place to stay, and because of the tradition that bound them, they could not multiply their work or, or push it out in every direction. They had to merely stay in one place, and they built a very large assembly, but that's as far as they could go. But now God is setting these men free. And they're beginning to lift up their eyes and look on the harvest fields and see their white under harvest. And God is beginning to let that mighty faith operate into their hearts. And they're beginning to say to their congregations, let's look on those harvest fields and let us go into the far corners of the earth and let's reach down that golden grain before the Lord Jesus Christ comes. What is an apostle for? To impart into the body the apostolic spirit that spirit of going where christ has never been named reaching out all over the earth now in paul's day it was pretty easy to do that all he had to do was go someplace that no one else had been there it was a place where christ had not been named but i think it's going to be a different kind of thing that takes place in our day we're going to aim at that same thing to be sure to go where christ has not been named but it's going to be among those which are the cast off those which are rejected, those which are twisted off. I'm going to tell you, America, Canada, Mexico, South America, much of Europe, today they know nothing about the Lord Jesus Christ. Our world has become a heathen world. 
And these mighty ministries beginning to function again are going to cause the church to rise up and begin to move out in units and teams and groups and families to the ends of the earth. And this gospel is going to be preached in all the world for a witness. I'm going to be ministering. It's going to have something to do with your brother Dick Benjamin. The other ministers that God is raising up here, God's giving you a teacher and brother Dick Strutt, other ministers that are being raised up, don't let yourself get locked into one place. Our minds and our eyes have got to see now the field is the world, and that's what we're to do. So tonight, I'm going to minister to you, first of all, a thing that you must have in your heart as the basic starting point of anything that I'm going to bring to you this week. And that is, what is the purpose of God? Now, most churches have this completely wrong, and they think the purpose of God, I've been in churches, denominational groups, that think the purpose of God is to propagate their denominational truth. In other words, the purpose of God is to propagate the teaching about this or that or the other thing, some doctrinal position which they've taken, which at one time or another in their lifetime of existence God might have blessed, or maybe he blessed only the men who were there, not what they were preaching. Maybe what they were preaching wasn't quite right on, but their hearts were right on, and they got all fouled up. This happens so easy. Here, I'm preaching some things to the people that God has given me. Now, I constantly remind them that for the most part, what I'm preaching to them is only workable truth. It isn't absolute truth. It's approximate truth. If I know something today, I hope to know something more about it tomorrow because I'm going to walk with the Lord and he's going to teach me more. Well, if I'm going to learn more tomorrow, I don't know it all today, so all I can say is it's approximate truth today. That's all it is. Now, the only thing I know absolute truth is that Jesus is the Christ and he's Lord of all. Hallelujah. I know that. I know that. The problem is, though, if the Lord should carry another generation, and I'm not going to go into any doctrinal point about that, just, just, just use this as an illustration, I might leave this earthly sod, zips and I'm gone, and then somewhere along the line, my tapes remain behind, and maybe I write a few books, and I get those copyrighted, and then after they're copyrighted, I change my mind 42 different times, but the books don't change. I told some of my brothers, I'm going to start writing some books, and I'm going to have the brothers do that, but we're going to do them all with loose leaf or tear out pages. Keep the name of the people who get the books, and then write to them later, say, please insert this sheet in page 137 and rip out page 137. We no longer believe that. Hallelujah. The next generation comes along, and they have these books and these tapes. And I'm not around anymore. And all the elders that were with me, they're not around anymore. And one day somebody gets up, and somebody preaches something different from me. And one of the new ones says, What? Did you hear that? They listen to these tapes. I think you should listen to them but don't pay too much attention to them. It's important that you don't do that. I think there's a spirit that I have in me that can bless you, that can help you, but don't try to get all those words and say, yes, did you hear that word? Ooh, how divinely inspired. He must have used exactly the word. I think the Holy Spirit used exactly the right word, but I don't always use exactly the right word. I don't even listen to those tapes to tell you the truth. They bother me. 
a terrible running down my own. <laughs> Hallelujah. True, though. It really is true. So they run and they say, ah, this is the truth as laid down from God to our glorious founder, Jim Durkin. <laughs> and now you got the beginning of a new denomination. See? And pretty soon everyone must conform to exactly those tastes which have been laid down. And here I'm up in heaven learning all about the truth. Say, wow, I was wrong on that, Lord. Why aren't you gracious that you saved me anyhow? Hallelujah. And they're down there holding up their tastes and saying, our glorious founder has given us the truth. Jesus Christ gave us the truth. Hallelujah. So it's important to understand God's purpose. Then you don't worry too much about your shortcomings. I laugh at my son. I think most of them are, are ridiculous. I really do. You know, when I was a young man, my children were all small. And once in a while, we'd go out maybe to a restaurant or something like that. And when it was all over, we'd eaten a meal and the waitress had given us the bill. I would take out of my pocket a $10 bill or whatever would cover the bill. And I would give it to one of my sons or my daughter. And I would say, would you like to go pay the bill? And they said, yes, I would. So I'd give them the money, and, oh, they'd hold it so proudly like this, and they'd get the other bill in their hand, didn't even know what it meant or anything like that, but they were going to do something that daddy, they'd seen daddy do. Now, remember, they hadn't earned the money. They didn't have a whole lot to do with anything at all, because they were just little children at that time. Didn't know anything about it at all. But here, daddy had given them something to do, which they could do and be proud of, because that was something, something like daddy did, see? So here they hold a bill in one hand and the money in the other, and they would walk up there and stick it up like this to the waitress or the lady at the cashier. She'd say, oh, big man, are you paying the bill for your father and mother? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And she would take it, you know, and go through them, ring it up, boom, ding, 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 like this. Here's the thing. Give it to your father. And he would walk back. <sighs> See? And the father would receive it. Me. And then we'd walk out together, and the son would walk out quiet. <laughs> well, now, I actually think that for the most part, except there's a spirit within every man of God, I think that's kind of like that with the Lord. He's given us a part in this glorious work, and I don't even know what's going on. I don't know how to get anything done. I don't know how to get anybody saved. He gives me a thought for a sermon. I get up there and I preach away at it and I wave my hands and I do all kinds of things. When I get all done, I make an altar call. I say, who wants to get saved? And I'm looking out here, oh, oh Lord, help me now, see. And the next thing, one person raised their hand, another, 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 and I say, oh, thank you, Jesus, for your miracle-working power. Who wants to come down here and get saved? And here they come up and they get saved. Now, I sometimes told my people that I actually think sometimes I could get up and go boogly, boogly, bobbly, bobbly, bum, bum, boo, and so forth and so on, because the Lord showed me a secret of gospel preaching, and I'm going to pass it along to you, and get it well in your heart. The Lord showed me that when I'm ministering, especially a salvation message, it may not always be true when I'm ministering a teaching message, but when I'm ministering a salvation message, I'll make some point. And maybe I've got it all homiletically perfect and my hermeneutics are correct and I understand everything that I should understand. I've got the Greek meanings down. I'm explaining all of this and so forth and so on. And I'm just proudly going along with my little sermonette here. And the Lord showed me one day what happens. Here's a man out here with a need. And I say one word or a little phrase. 
and suddenly he leaves me. And the Spirit of God takes his mind from that one phrase, and he goes off on a trip led by God, and God's dealing with his heart. And he isn't hearing me anymore, but I'm pre- Oh, that's how I get saved. He's gone. And here's another one gone. And another one gone. And, another, and pretty soon there's not too much of the congregation left that's paying any attention to anything that I'm saying anyhow. And then somehow, miraculously, the Holy Spirit taking different people off at different periods during that message brings them all back around at the same wonderful time and suddenly they pop out of this trip with the Holy Spirit and and suddenly they look up here and I'm saying, who wants to come to the Lord? Would you raise your hand, please? They say, I do. (laughs) Hallelujah. See, if you really understand it that way, you put your whole trust in the Lord. Now, if you don't understand it that way, you get too hung up with your preaching. Oh, I want to make this. I tried the one time to make myself the world's most perfect preaching machine. I got myself a tape recorder. Started listening to every sermon afterwards. Got all fouled up with the English. I want to correct all the English. I felt my pauses weren't correct. I'd ask my wife, i say, did I gesture dramatically enough at that particular point? You know, she didn't know if I did or not. That's a very confusing thing. And finally, after hearing those tapes long enough, I almost quit the ministry. It just really shook me up until I learned to depend wholly upon the Lord to get his work done. Now, the purpose of God. It's not to propagate your particular denominational bias, whatever it may be, even when it's 100% right on. There may be a place to preach that particular truth that you see. I don't mean you shouldn't preach it, but that's not the purpose of God. The purpose of God is not to fill this church or a hundred other churches like it, including Deliverance Temple down where I hang out most of the time. That's not the purpose of God. And the purpose of God, hear me, is not to win souls either. The purpose of God is not to take you into a deeper walk. If you have any of those ideas in your mind, I beg you to listen to my message tonight and hear what I have to say. Of a certainty, God wants to fill your church. That I can tell you. Of an absolute truth, God wants to win souls. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance and the knowledge of the truth. An absolute truth. He wants to take you into a deep, deep relationship with himself. But that's not God's purpose. I want to talk to you about God's purpose. And I want you now to bow your heads with me and ask God to give you the spirit of revelation that you can understand his purpose. Blessed Heavenly Father, I ask you, Lord, to make clear to the hearts of these people what is your purpose. Lay aside all of the things that I might do or not do, Father, and impart to them this truth that they may understand your purpose. What you're aiming to do in this generation, what you're aiming to do in this church age, 
what you're gloriously aiming to do in this climactic part of this church age. Let us lay aside every preconceived idea, Father. I pray that especially. I know as humans, Lord, all of us are the same. We get our ideas and we don't want to give them up and we don't even want to consider something else. But I pray, Father, right now that the minds of this blessed group of people shall be opened and their hearts shall be opened and their spirits ready to receive your truth from the Word of God. Let it come forth then, Lord, as truth. Let me impart some spiritual gift to this congregation of people, your children, your family, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Purpose of God. Reading from Ephesians, the third chapter, the eleventh verse. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 1:11, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Now here the Bible is talking about a purpose that God had in his heart from the very beginning. Long before what we know as time ever was in eternity past, God purposed something to come to pass in this age. He saw you, he saw me, he saw all of his children, and he has determined, aimed at, and will bring to pass, because he works this purpose after the counsel, the Bible says, of his own will. Now that does not mean that you're going to be overpowered and forced to do something. It will come to pass whether we do anything or not, you can be sure, because God's purposes cannot and will not be frustrated. But we have a glorious opportunity of entering into God's eternal purpose for this age. All of the promises of God, unless you understand his purpose, you will twist off and use to other means than God intended that they should be used. Your praying, unless you understand God's purpose, will fall short of the grand and glorious praying that God wants to raise you up to once you do understand his purpose. Your labor for God will take on human instrumentality, human level. Unless you understand the purpose of God, that will raise you up out of yourself. You'll be caught up with the glory of his purpose, what he is aiming to do. And it will lift you out of yourself into another realm. And no human, even though he be a Christian, even though he be filled with the Spirit, unless he understands the purpose of God 
And unless he has the vision of God deep in his being so he understands what God is attempting to accomplish and what God will accomplish and therefore how to work with God. For the Bible says about us, we are workers together with God. God is working. God has purpose. God is moving inexorably towards some point. And all too often, the church, because they were taught some lesser purpose or some non-existent purpose or some purely human purpose went off in a completely different direction from the move of God only to find themselves sitting over here and wondering where, where the blessing of God went to. The purpose of God. I tell you, first of all, you have to understand deep in your spirit that our eternal heavenly Father is moving towards some and unless my purpose becomes the purpose of God then these things which are written only a few of them will have any meaning to me at all the others will seem like hard and arduous burdens that God is attempting to lay upon us but I want you to know Jesus said my yoke is easy and my burden is light it's designed to be easy and light once you understand the purpose of God. Even then, it could be that a person must suffer martyrdom or must be beat with whips or must be robbed of the necessities of life and he's still able to praise the Lord with undiminished fervor because he understands the purpose of God. It does not depend upon creature comfort or that he has something going his particular way because he understands the purpose of God. The New Testament spoke about Peter and said... That by this Jesus signified by what death Peter should glorify God. And you know what that death was? Hanging upside down on a cross, tradition tells us. But certainly it was a cross. But Peter could glorify God in that because he understood the purpose of God. What is the purpose of God? I'd like to read a little bit out of the Word of God. Ephesians, the first chapter, again, 18th verse. 17th rather, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom. Now when my brother Paul prayed that prayer, I believe he prayed it with faith, inspired of God, put in the word of God, and that prayer is effective today. I read that prayer, don't pray the same prayer, I say amen Lord, I believe that prayer. Working for you, working for me. The eyes of our understanding, that God may give unto you the spirit of wisdom, and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, and power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now the third chapter, 16th verse, that's 14. For this cause I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, 
that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all things what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Now the purpose of God is that his name, the overall purpose, but that's not what I'm going to minister about tonight, but I want you to grasp the point. The purpose of God, the final end of all things, is that God may be all in all. And that is the ultimate purpose to which everything will flow, because when that condition obtains, the whole universe will be at peace. A sinless and beautiful stability where absolute joy and peace and happiness and contentment and creativity will exist throughout all eternity. I don't know all of the things that God has prepared for them that love him. His Spirit has revealed some of them to me, some of them to you, some of them to other great men of God, lesser men of God, all men of God. But the ultimate purpose of God is that God may be all in all. And I can give you a scripture to quote for that. It says, Then come at the end, when Jesus Christ himself shall deliver up the kingdom to God the Father, become subject to him, that God may be all in all. The ultimate purpose. But there is a unique and special purpose by which we are bringing that ultimate purpose to pass, and that unique and special purpose applies to this particular age in which we are living. And that is this, that God has determined that from the rising of the sun to the going down thereof, the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, shall be great, and all men are to come to honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. So determined and intent on this purpose is God, that he's even determined that even in the afterlife, in that day of judgment, when demons and the devil... And wicked men, as well as godly men from all ages, stand before him. He has determined that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. No one can escape it. God has determined it and he will bring it to pass. His eternal purpose for this age and that which helps to bring that ultimate overriding purpose to pass is that Jesus Christ will be honored even as the Father is honored. And that from one end of the earth, even unto the other end of the earth, his name will be known, his deeds will be proclaimed, his person will be revealed, that all men everywhere will hear about the glorious and marvelous thing that our Lord and Savior has done when he came to this earth. God has determined that purpose. Turn with me, please, to the book of Hebrews. And I want to show you Hebrews, the first chapter, 
God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his purpose, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again when he bringeth the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. Of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. They all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who shall be heirs of salvation? I want you to see that the Lord here does something quite remarkable. Now in this end time, it's natural that we get into some of the prophecies of the Old Testament because they're going to have bearing on the end time. Working as I am, different places, especially with a number of young people who have been dropouts from society, but not so much that anymore, but nevertheless a large number of them, a great many people are coming to the surface in these days, getting saved, finding the Lord, looking back in the Old Testament, seeing these great prophecies of doom on Moab and doom on Ammon and doom on Esau and so forth and so on, and they're beginning to get the picture of themselves as great Old Testament prophets raising up and so forth and so on. But I want you to know God says that he spoke at different times, in different ways, little bits and little pieces, by the prophets were which were of old. But God never entered into those prophets in any sense of staying there. He touched them, he anointed them, he blessed them, they spoke some portion of truth, and then it was all over. But God in these last days, the Bible says, has spoken unto us in his Son. And that means he literally, the Bible says, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Jesus Christ was the vehicle. Jesus Christ was the one who left the heavenly glory, came down to this earth, took upon himself the form of man, and walked upon this earth in such a manner that the eternal fullness of God came into him, abode in him, manifested through him, so that the world, by looking at Jesus Christ, was able to see the glory of the eternal Father. God takes the prophets, Glorious as they were, God takes the lawgiver Moses, wonderful as he was, and he lays them all aside in favor of his all-glorious Son, and he tells us to do exactly the same thing, to get our eyes centered upon Jesus, to not pattern our ministry after men, to not try to be prophets 
or try to be after this one or that one or the other one. Someone paid me, I think, one of the finest compliments that could ever be paid. They said to me, they said, Brother, we've been to a number of ministries, and I notice you've got the same thing here, and Brother, I pass this compliment on to you because it's the same spirit. They said, we've been to a number of ministries, and they said, in those ministries, everyone carries the Bible in exactly the same way. They all step up to the pulpit, and they open the Bible in exactly the same way, and they lay it down, and they look at the people in exactly as they preach the same way. But says, there's nobody here acts like anybody else. Hallelujah. Well, that's what I notice about this church. Nobody here acts like anybody else. But you all act like you're filled with the Spirit. I notice that. Hallelujah. Individuality remains. The sin disappears. The weaknesses disappear. The blocks disappear. And the glory of the Lord emerges. But the individuality remains. God doesn't change that. Hallelujah. Laid aside the prophets. Moses, great man. Prophets of God, Elijah. One day the Lord Jesus Christ said to three of his closest followers, Come with me. Took them up to a mountainside. Stood on that mountain. The Bible says something miraculous began to take place. Right before their very eyes, Jesus was transfigured. The Bible says his garments became white so as no fuller on earth can make them. And his face was as the sun shining in the noonday strength. And when Peter saw it, he fell before that tremendous thing. And right at the same time, there appeared unto the Lord in this transfigured state that he was in, this state of exalted glory that was literally shining out from him, his real nature emerging. There appeared unto him Moses and Elijah talking to him. What a sight to see Jesus, the one they had been walking with. And now, ones that they had only heard about and read about in the Word. Miracle workers, lawgivers, great leaders, ones who could point at the Red Sea or the Jordan River and have it park and walk over dry shot on dry land. What a wonderful thing this was. And Peter fell on his face. And James and John fell on their faces. Exceedingly they trembled. Then Peter said because he was afraid and didn't know what to do, he said, Lord, it is indeed good to be here. He said, let us make ourselves three booths, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? They'll all remain here. And suddenly there appeared a bright cloud overshadowing them, and out of this cloud there spoke the eternal voice of Almighty God. And Peter fell on his face and hid himself, and the voice said, this, this is my beloved Son hear him. And when they looked again, no one was there but Jesus himself. Hallelujah. Thus God signified to that generation and to us. Don't fashion yourself after a prophet. Don't fashion yourself after lawgivers. Don't fashion yourself after anything. Except get yourself busy exalting the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. The Bible says God has given him a name which is above every name. Now, the name Jesus was a common name even in Christ's day. If we add to it the appellations of the Lord Jesus Christ, it still can be just a name because our attitude toward it is wrong. And so we go around and we say, yes, the Lord Jesus Christ did this, the Lord Jesus Christ did that, Jesus did that, and Jesus did the other thing. God does not want you to use it that name in a common way. 
God wants you to think about that name. He said he wants his name exalted. He wants his name glorified. He wants his name lifted up. Now, just like I'm saying to you, and God pointed out to those disciples that said they wanted three boos made, God said, not three boos, not even one booth. This is my son. Hear him. Now he has a name, the purpose of God, that that name will be exalted and glorified. But that takes thought. That takes application. That takes prayer to ask God how to glorify that name, how to exalt it. My desire, and I know your brother Dick Benjamin's desire, is to see this city of Anchorage literally filled with the name, the Lord Jesus Christ. That men will have it on their lips. That men will see it when they go down the street. That men will have papers put into their hand, whether they be cracks or full-size newspapers, telling about this glorious and wonderful eternal Son of God, that He will be exalted and glorified. That God's purpose will come to the... But Anchorage, the city of Anchorage, is not enough. Our aim must be that His deeds and His glory and His majesty shall go to the very ends of the earth. And you, if you can grasp the purpose of God, can begin to set as a church, look out at that world, and say the majority of that world does not even know anything at all about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, much less the truth about Him, who He is and what He is. And we do believe, let that be your prayer, your statement, we do believe that if we set ourselves in alignment with the purpose of God, that God will show us how to fill the earth with his majesty and his glory and his name. Amen. Now, here we get to the point that I'm, I'm loath to make because I don't know if you're, you're going to grasp it the first time around. The reason why I'm saying that so everyone will set up and say, well, uh, tell us because we're, we're ready to grasp it and I want you to be ready to grasp it. When you stop to consider the concept with as little time as we have left before the Lord comes, how in 2,000 years the church has not been able to fill the earth with the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to see the magnificent difficulty of us being able to do it in the short time we have left to ourselves. I want you to see the utter impossibility of doing it. I want you to see the magnitude of the task. How are we going to get behind the iron curtain? How are we going to get through the bamboo curtain? How are we going to break the language barriers? How are we going to break the cultural barriers? How are we going to get to the down and outs and the up and outs and so forth? How will we do it? It's beyond our understanding, beyond our conceiving. It is utterly impossible as far as men are concerned. But I want you to know that God never asked you to take upon yourself jobs that were possible. When he told that little group of 12 or 15 or 120, whatever it was, those believers, and he said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Paul heard that message, and for 30 years he went and did what God told him to do. 
Now, I don't know how many there was on the earth at that time, but he grasped the purpose of God to take that glorious name. He said, I've made up my mind to go where the name of Christ had never been made. He knew to take that name. He knew to take those deeds. He knew to take that majesty. He knew to go and tell about that person, Jesus. And 32 years later, he was able to say, I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. I have preached the gospel to every creature under heaven, whereunto I have been sent as a witness. He got the job done. He inspired men. He filled them with a zeal. He trained those people. He sent them out. They went everywhere, 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 until the name of Jesus literally filled the Roman Empire and spilled over into the Goths and the Visigoths and the Sacks and the Franks, until the heathen in every land heard the glorious name, Jesus Christ, and God the Father was honored thereby. Hallelujah. It is impossible to do the job, humanly speaking. But that's the glory of it. That's the majesty of it. That's the miracle of what God is going to do in this generation. When we begin to grasp this purpose and we give ourselves to it, See, not the purpose, well, the purpose is to, to fill our church. You can do that. Humans can do that. Humans can't put the spirit you've got in this church. Not like it is here, that's God. But humans can fill churches. There are a lot of churches with no spirit in them at all. They're full up, waiting for the spirit to come. That can be done humanly speaking. You can take your denominational truth and propagate it. That humans can do. But to carry out the purpose of God, to fill this earth with that name and the majesty of that person, and to walk like kings and queens in this earth, living victoriously, walking before God, filled with his purpose, driven with his zeal, that takes you completely out of yourself and lifts you into a whole other realm where you have to call upon God and say, Almighty God, this is impossible on human terms. Help me. And then he lifts you out of yourself into another realm and you begin to walk like these men of God walk in all time. The purpose of God. He looks at the angels. He holds them up. He said, all they are is ministering spirits sent to minister to those who are heirs of salvation. But my son, he said, he is king of kings and lord of lords. He lifts up the heavens and the handiwork of himself, and he says, the stars declare my glory, the firmament declares my handiwork. But he said, my son is going to roll it all up as a scroll and as a vesture which grows old, and he's going to throw it all away and make it all new. But he will abide forever and ever and ever. Now, if you do not understand that the purpose of God in this church generation is to exalt the name of Jesus Christ and to fill the earth with his glory and his majesty and his person, you're going to be left with some lesser purpose. You might be left with the purpose of going into the world and winning souls. That's your idea. Now, I know there are many times I preached messages along this line. I'd get up and I'd actually cry. And it was sincere crying. I wasn't, there wasn't no alligator tears or, or something like this. I'd get up and actually cry. And I'd say, think of the millions that are without Jesus. They're going to hell. 200,000 souls a day are perishing. And that's the truth. That's what it is. 
And I say, can you see them as a great army of men marching toward a cliff which is they're blinded and they can't see and that cliff comes to an end and hear them dropping off into that bottomless abyss and their abyss and their terrible screams calling and crying out to God for help but they're gone forever, they're lost. Rise up people and go preach the gospel to those people lest they go to hell. God's anger is burning hot against them and we must go and we must... You know what I actually did? I turned God into some kind of an ogrous monster who was sitting up there angrily waiting to get his hands on those sinners. And I, merciful Jim, was stirring up my church, saying, hold off, God, wait a little longer, please, Jesus. And I was getting my church out there to try and save those sinners from God. Don't you see when our purpose is wrong, no matter how right it may sound, it ends up being nothing more than human sympathy or human glorification. And it doesn't work. But when I begin to understand the purpose of God to exalt and glorify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to declare his deeds, his purpose, his majesty, his wonderfulness, and I began to go into the world and say, listen, I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you the good news. I want to tell you what he's done. I want to tell you how wonderful he is. I want to tell you what he's done for you. I want to tell you what he's ready to give you. And the strange thing I find is that people begin listening and say, I want to hear more about this wonderful person. I want to know about him. I want to hear about him. That really sounds like good news to me. And souls start getting saved. Then another thing begins to happen. Souls start coming together because I talk about God's family. Jesus has brought us into the possibility and the, the intention of God is to weld us together into his family. We have been saved to be a family, a body, a temple, to be together, to be one, to have all the walls of partition broken down between us so we literally can understand what it means to have a real family when God is our father and Jesus Christ is our elder brother. And the next thing, oh, it isn't churches that are created anymore. It's bodies that are created and families that are created and people who love each other and care for each other and want each other because we understand the purpose of God in Jesus Christ. See? Now this week, I want to take time to develop this theme, not on the purpose of God. I think I've declared it clearly. Now let me give it to you just a quick recap of it. It is God's overall purpose that all men are to give the glory due his name because when we truly do that universal peace the heavens the earth the universe is restored to a place of tranquility and stability where all of the things that god has planned for his children his creation will have an opportunity to manifest themselves throughout endless age upon age upon age Whatever God has for us, I don't know fully. Only a few little things. Maybe I understand. Maybe you understand. But nevertheless, what the fullness of it. How glorious. But in this church age, to bring to pass his ultimate purpose, the determination of God, and any man who does not understand this will move off with some other purpose and they're left behind in the move of God. God has determined that the name of his son Jesus Christ shall be great above every name that is named. He is determined that he shall be heralded to the ends of the earth. 
He is determined that his deeds, his majesty, his glory, his work, his person shall be known by every creature throughout the entire earth, that all men everywhere shall come to hear of the glorious and wonderful things that his only begotten Son has done. Don't you see, this changes the whole nature of witnessing. Well, you go out to witness and say, boy, you better get saved because you're going to hell and God's going to burn you good and you better get right with God because you don't, man, God's going to do this and that and the other thing. And people, even if they get saved, feel like they've been bullied into it. They don't get saved for the right attitude. They say, well, man, I don't want to go to hell, so I guess I better join up with the big guy over here. Say, that's not the way to witness. Even if we have to bring out the truth about hell, it isn't that way it should be brought out. But when we begin to tell people about the good news, what God brought into this world when his son came, what he released into this world, the potential that is there. And we begin to minister that to people. They begin to hear that good news and say, tell me more about this person and about his father. Because we understand the purpose. Then I'm going to tell you something. If you don't understand the purpose, you'll get worn out no matter what the work is you're doing. But if you understand the purpose, you can be sitting in a cell like Paul was with his back all raw and his neck in the stocks and his hand in the socks. And I think what he did, he just sat there thinking about the purpose of God, to glorify Jesus Christ. And here he was in this stock sitting there like this. Silas sitting over there. Here he was. Silas, yes. You know what the purpose of God is? I do, Paul. Say it. It's to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. You're right. Let's do it. Well, you know the rest of what happened. I was going to put on a song right then, but I won't do that. I was going to say, hallelujah. That's what happened. The Bible says that old prison began to shake and tremble like this, and the doors fly open. Taylor came and said, what's going on here? What's going on here? Paul said, don't do yourself any harm. We're all safe here. And the jailer came trembling in and fell down before them. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Hallelujah. <laughs> now I'll tell you something. I want you to know that I love you. And I have thoroughly enjoyed the spirit with which you have received me and received the message. But most of all, you've received the Lord Jesus Christ. You just... I can tell when people are hungry and when they want to hear and they do hear and they say, yeah, come on, come on, more, 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 more. And I want to give you more. And so this Tuesday, I'm going to be ministering on the subject, the vehicle by which God will bring to pass this method of glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. God's way of glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to show you what God has put into our hands to do it with. And something is happening with my brother Dick Benjamin and myself. We've always, from the very beginning, hit it off together. I can tell you that for sure. I like him. He likes to eat in the same kind of places I eat. And uh, <laughs> We like to talk about the same kind of things. We like to talk about Jesus. Hallelujah. But I told our brother Dick Benjamin today, and I'm telling you, that this man is a unique gift to the church in this generation in which we live. And I am thankful in God to be associated with him. I look forward to coming up this time. And I told him of a plan that I have in mind, not a 
an association we're all going to get together and sign papers and so now don't get any idea anything like that at all because i don't think anything is going to be like that anyhow this age in which we're living brother if we're ever going to be together we're going to be together in the spirit we're just going to recognize in god that this is togetherness hallelujah but i'm saying to you that this man does understand the purpose of god in this generation and god is laying it on his heart to do a work a unique work, a special work. And you folks that are here, because of this impelling moving of the Holy Spirit, are going to have to pray with him and for him and be generous with him and good to him and release him from time to time that he may go out with this mighty gift that God has given him and go out to impart that to other parts of the body who literally are starving for what God has imparted into this place here in Anchorage. And in your generosity, my own church had to do that with me. They wanted me to stay, to be there at all times, and I want to be there at all times in a real sense of the word. I love those people, but yet God has shown me something and showing your brother Dick Benjamin that same something that this entire world is desperately crying out for the restoration of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I see an operation working in this place, Abbott Loop Community Church in Anchorage, Alaska, that needs to be working all over the face of the earth. I see something working in my own life. I don't know how it got there, just like I don't know how it got into Brother Dick Benjamin. I'm sure there are other men that pray as much as he does, other men that preach maybe in some respects. Certain people would even say better than he does, certainly better than I do. Maybe they're more homiletical, maybe more this and that. Maybe that's so. But there is some divine gift residing in him that he is able to impart that glory and majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ and to release the Spirit into the body of Christ. Such a church on fire and brings it to life. And because that life is here, young men are being raised up, young women are being raised up, a church is filled up, they're ready now to break out the walls and build bigger, they're ready to split and go over to another part of the community or to another city. Men are fasting and praying about what their ministries are to be because this divine gift is in this man that God has sent to bless you. But, and this is the beauty of it. You folks have all been partakers of the root and the fatness of this gift, the blessedness of it. And somewhere along the line, not permanently to be sure, but somewhere along the line, you're going to have to generously say to the rest of a starving church and a starving world, we share the gift that Jesus Christ has given us. We're going to share it with you. And in reaching out to give, you'll receive even yet the more. Because that which you give away, you get to keep. And the man that gives shall be given unto him good measure, heaped up, pressed down, running over. So, I want you to come back Tuesday. I'm just eager to get a chance to preach to you again. I just like preaching to you. I like the way you look at me. I like the way you sit there. I tell you, you're leaning forward spiritually on your seats, and I like people to do that. You, you know, you can watch a guy sitting back in his seat, and you know that he's leaning forward spiritually. 
and you can see other people leaning forward spiritually, and you know they're sitting back in their seat. I mean, they're leaning forward on a seat, but they're sitting back spiritually. See, there are some people that look like they're praying in church, but they're not. They're sound asleep. There are other people where their eyes are closed, but they're wide awake. Hallelujah, they're hearing the gospel. But I'm looking out here, and I'm telling you what I see is a people wide awake and eager for the things of God. And so I want you to stand with me, please. And I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for bringing me to a church wherein your spirit has right of way and freedom to move. Hallelujah. And I thank you, Lord, because the name of Jesus Christ is honored and glorified in this place. And I thank you, Father, that they understand the purpose that you're accomplishing in this generation in which we live, Lord, and your determination to accomplish that purpose. And Lord, I pray if there be anybody here who just maybe for the first time heard it because they're new here, Lord, they move right into that purpose and say, Lord Jesus, I understand now the purpose, and I'm giving myself to that purpose. That's what I want in my life, to exalt you, Lord, and to glorify you, and to honor you, and to fill the earth with your name and your majesty. Now, Heavenly Father, I ask you to bless this people, and bless their ministers, bless Brother Dick Benjamin, bless these young people that are being raised up, beginning to minister, bless this whole ministering congregation which are going out all over this city and filling it with a glorious and wonderful truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you. Amen.